Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. It is a great blessing that we may be here again to join in worship of our triune God. A particular welcome to any visitors. May you enjoy fellowship as you worship with us. May the preaching of the gospel message direct our hearts and minds in faith and trust to our Saviour Jesus Christ and cause us to live our lives to the praise of his name. Consistory has the following announcements. The congregation is advised that Consistory has called a congregational meeting for Monday 11 December at 8pm here in this church building to deal with the proposals from the Civil Grove Steering Committee. All materials have been distributed electronically via church social. If you require a hard copy, please ask your ward elder or a member of the steering committee. Consistory will meet tomorrow evening at 7.30pm, first as elders and deacons and then as elders only. Next week, Sunday, the Lord willing, we will celebrate the Lord's Supper in the morning service. This afternoon, we uh, welcome to our pulpit Reverend Eicherboom, minister of our sister church in Byford. And before we commence the worship service, uh, let us sing together hymn 74, verse 4. Sisters, will you please rise to receive the greeting of the Lord? Let's lift up our hearts and let's confess together. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And he greets us. Grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and from Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Shall we praise the Lord this afternoon by singing together Psalm 15, all three verses, and afterwards remain standing and profess our faith by singing together hymn 1.
Brothers and sisters, shall we pray together? Father in heaven, for the second time today, we are together as congregation here in your house to worship you. And of, and of course, Father, when we say that we are in your house, we understand that there is nothing special, nothing holy about this building. We acknowledge that since Pentecost, you don't make your home in a building of bricks and cement. Instead, you live in us, in the hearts of the people you love. And we are your people, Father, your congregation. Together we are your house. And you have given us a place here in Southern River. And through us, you display your grace, your holiness, your goodness, and your care to the world in which we live. And every week, you give us a special day to leave our busy schedules and to focus on you and on your grace towards us and on your plan for our lives. We are happy to set this day aside, Father, because there is nothing that is more important to us than your promises to forgive our sins and to give us eternal life. It is your promises that make our lives worth living. We pray this afternoon for the work of mission that we can support in PNG. We also pray for our theological seminary in Canada. We pray for the professors and students who have come almost to the end of the calendar year and who are busy with exams. Bless them, Father, and bless the students and their study. Bless them also over the Christmas and New Year break. We pray that through the work of the college, you will also provide ministers and missionaries for the churches. Bless us now this afternoon as we listen together to the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ, who died to save us from our sins. Grant, Father, that also this part of our confession does not remain in us just academic knowledge, because we confess that knowledge, and even much knowledge, cannot save us. Open our minds and our hearts and our lives to the working of your spirit so that we may live in faith, that we may know you in the sense that we trust you and we entrust ourselves to you. Hear our prayer, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Brothers and sisters, we take our Bibles and we read together two passages. First from the Old Testament prophecy of Jeremiah. And then Romans 7. 
And we read this in connection with Lord's Day 33 of the Catechism. Lord's Day 33 is about conversion or regeneration or repentance, whichever word you like to use. Jeremiah 2 verse 13. Hear the word of the Lord. Is Israel a slave? Is he a home-born servant? Why then has he become a prey? The lions have roared against him. They have roared loudly. They have laid his land a waste. His cities are in ruins without inhabitant. Moreover, the men of Memphis and Tapanes have shaved the crown of your head. Have you not brought this upon yourself by forsaking the Lord your God when he led you in the way? And now, what do you gain by going to Egypt to drink the waters of the Nile? Or what do you gain by going to Assyria to drink the waters of the Euphrates? Your evil will chastise you and your apostasy will reprove you. No. And see that it is evil and bitter for you to forsake the Lord your God. The fear of me is not in you, declares the Lord God of hosts. Now we go to Romans chapter 7. We read from verse 1. The Apostle writes, Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions Roused by the law, we're at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Well, then, shall we say that the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. 
I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So far our reading from the word of God. May the Lord bless it unto our hearts. Now before we listen to the preaching of the gospel, let's sing together Psalm 36 verse 3. I preach to you the word of God as we confess it in Lord's Day 33 of our catechism. Lord's Day 33 on page 549. What is the true repentance or conversion of man? It is the dying of the old nature and the coming to life of the new. What is the dying of the old nature? It is to grieve with heartfelt sorrow that we have offended God by our sin and more and more to hate it and flee from it. What is the coming to life of the new nature? It is a heartfelt joy in God through Christ and a love and delight to live according to the will of God in all good works. But what are good works? Only those which are done out of true faith, in accordance with the law of God and to his glory, and not those based on our own opinion or on precepts of men. So far our reading from the Catechism. 
We now listen to the preaching of the gospel. And afterwards we sing together hymn 83, verses 1 and 2. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, if you could choose one thing in yourself that you could change, what would it be? Maybe in some of us it would be our quick temper that makes us speak harshly to the people we love. Or maybe someone is always trying to please other people and has trouble saying no, even when it goes at the expense of his family. Or maybe I procrastinate too much. I never get my work done. Maybe I'm not content. I always want more. Or maybe I am lazy, too easily satisfied, not motivated to work hard. Brothers and sisters, if we have characteristics that we don't like, we could shrug our shoulders. We could say, that's who I am. I cannot change myself. But that's not always true. Certainly, for Christians, that's not always true. We know this because in the first part of our catechism, we confessed that by nature we are dead in our sins. Dead and so unable to do any good. Dead, unable to change. But that was not the end of the story. Instead, we saw Last Sunday, in Lord's Day 32, answer 86, we saw that Jesus Christ has redeemed us by his blood, past tense, technically perfect tense, it's a done deal. And also, we saw in Lord's Day 32, in addition, Jesus Christ also renews us by his Holy Spirit to be his image so that with our whole life we may show ourselves thankful to God. Brothers and sisters, our confession says that the Holy Spirit is changing us. Today, tomorrow and every day, the Holy Spirit is working in our hearts and he is changing us and he's changing people all over the world. And this is the principle of the Christian life. The principle of the Christian life. By God's power, God works in us and he changes us. I preach to you this afternoon the gospel of your salvation under the following theme. As Christians, we want to be converted so that more and more we live our lives in God's service. 
And we consider three points, what conversion is, how conversion happens, and thirdly, the consequence of conversion. As Christians, we want to be converted so that more and more we live our lives in God's service. We see first what conversion is. Now, just to be clear, brothers and sisters, the Bible speaks about conversion in two different ways. First, conversion happens when an unbeliever becomes a believer. That's conversion. In the Catechism, that was discussed in Lord's Day 7 under the heading of True Faith, where an unbeliever reads his Bible and discovers that the Bible is true and discovers that Jesus died to save me from my sins. Then a sinner is converted and receives eternal life. But that is not what Lord's Day 33 is about. No, Lord's Day 33 is about Christians, people like you and me. We already believe the gospel. We are already on the road to eternal life. But we still sin, often. And then repenting, turning away from our sins and obeying God's commandments, that is also called conversion. Now when Paul describes this conversion process in Romans 7, in verse 8 Paul talks about sin. Sin. What is sin? On the one hand, sin is stuff that we do that we shouldn't be doing. That's sin. But in Romans 7 verse 8, Paul talks about sin as a force, a power that works in us and that produces in us all kinds of covetousness, that is, all kinds of evil desires. So sin is something working in us. And we understand that when we think about Eve. Eve was in paradise. She ate the forbidden fruit. And then Eve told God, the devil, he made me do it. She could have said, the devil produced in me an evil desire. The desire to be like God. Like God knowing good and evil, remember? So why do we sin? What causes sin? The answer is, the devil. He puts evil desires into our hearts. Furthermore, Paul explains in verse 11, Paul explains how the devil puts these evil desires into our hearts. Paul says, the devil deceives me. The devil deceives me. That means the devil 
makes me believe things that are not true. The devil makes me believe that spending time doing this or spending money on that is going to make me happy. So I now have a problem. God says to me, live your life this way, according to my word, and then I will bless you. I will make you perfectly happy and eternally happy. But the devil deceives me. The devil deceives me so that I believe going my own way and doing what I feel like is going to make me happy. This is how the devil makes me sin. And so to change my behaviour, to change my behaviour, I must first change my beliefs. I must first believe the truth. The truth that God has revealed in scripture. The truth that God loves me. And that by his word and spirit, God leads me on the way to perfect and eternal joy. When we really believe that, then we will be converted and then our behavior will change. And we see how this works, brothers and sisters, in the passage we read from Jeremiah 2. In, Jeremiah, in Jeremiah's time, Babylon was a powerful nation. Babylon threatened to destroy all the other nations, including Judah. And then the people of Judah, they should have trusted in the Lord. Because the Lord promised that he would protect them. But the devil deceived them. The devil gave them the false belief that they needed help from the Assyrians. And so they made a treaty with the Assyrians. And then, to change the beliefs of the people of Judah, to convince them to think otherwise, Jeremiah told them a parable. Jeremiah said to them, imagine that you were living in the desert where everything is dry. And imagine outside the back door of your house, you have a fountain of water that never dries up. Every morning you can walk outside and you can get fresh water from, from that fountain. Water for drinking and for cooking and for washing. An abundant supply of water. Now, if that was true, then what would you say about the man who ignores that fountain? What would you say about the man who goes to the shop, who buys an axe and a shovel and then breaks his back digging a hole in the rocks so that when it rains he can't collect water? What would you say if he works hard to collect water and he ignores that fountain which is in his backyard. 
That fountain which never dries up. How crazy that would be. See, beloved congregation, Jeremiah wants the people of Judah to understand that God is like that fountain. Every day again, God will give us everything we need. We only have to go to the fountain. We only have to open our mouth and drink from the fountain and we will be filled. But the devil deceives the people of Judah by giving them the false belief that they need the Assyrians to protect them. And then conversion. Conversion means understanding that I got it wrong, horribly wrong. Conversion means admitting that I was stupid. I really did not need what I thought I needed from those Assyrians. Conversion means now choosing to change my life. Choosing to live my life God's way. Because, because now I get it. Now I am convinced that living my life God's way is the best way. The best way for me. And so we all need conversion in different areas of our lives, brothers and sisters. Regarding my job, the devil might deceive me so that I believe if only, if only I had a better job, if only I could earn a few extra dollars, then I would be happy. Then the devil deceives me so that earning more money becomes my focus. And then conversion means believing that if I put God first, God will provide me with everything I need. The devil deceives countless men who imagine that they can visit pornographic websites and still go to heaven. And then conversion means Believing that pornography will only lead to pain and self-destruction. I look at my home, my car, my computer, my boat, and the more I have, the more I want. So that conversion means believing that everything belongs to God. And after this life, God's people will enjoy it all forever. The devil deceives me. He makes me believe that following my own feelings and my own desires will make me happy. And then conversion means trusting that God knows what is best for me. And conversion means making his word the focus of my life. Indeed, beloved congregation, we can live our lives in two different ways. We can follow our own desires. We can do what it takes to make us happy now. When the devil says, do this and you will be happy. Get that and you will be happy. 
the unconverted man believes the devil. He is deceived because as long as he focuses on doing what makes him happy, he will never be happy in all eternity. Of course, of course, converted people also want to be happy. But we trust God when he says, serve me and live your life my way. And then I will make you happy in all eternity. Remember, God is that fountain of living water. God is the fountain of good. The point is not that we do something for God. The point is that we let him give us what is best for us. That we trust him to give us what is best for us. Open wide your mouth and let God fill you with his blessing. That is our first point. In our second point, we will now consider how conversion happens. When Paul writes his letter to the Ephesians, he says bluntly, he says, put off all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Just put it off, says Paul. That means stop doing what you are doing. End of story. The Lord Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, says it even more dramatically. The Lord says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And if your eye causes you to sin, poke it out. The Lord says, do whatever it takes to put sin out of your life. Because, the Lord explains, living without your eye in this world and then going to heaven afterwards is better than having two good eyes in this life and then going to hell. That's what Jesus says. And the fact is, beloved congregation, we don't really get it. Fact is, we have a false sense of security. We imagine that everything is going to be okay, regardless of what happens, regardless of how we live. Maybe we think that because we are baptised, or because we go to the true church, everything is going to be okay. One Christian author said it this way. He said, many Christians seem to believe that it is our job to sin and it is God's job to forgive. But Jesus talks about hell. He talks about hell for people who think they are okay. Answer 87 of our catechism says, No unchaste person, idolater, adulterer, thief, greedy person, drunkard, slanderer, robber, or the like, shall inherit the kingdom of God. 
Brothers and sisters, the Bible is so clear. We must repent of our sins. And that means who really cares about a career? That means exam results. What do they really matter? Even our marriage, even our family has only limited importance. What really matters is that you and I, that we repent of our sins because conversion leads to eternal life. And in light of this, brothers and sisters, our challenge is not to learn a million rules from the Bible and then anxiously try to keep those rules every day. Instead, we need to see the big picture. God commands us to love him and to love our neighbours. And so our concern, our concern here in the church of Southern River at the end of 2023, our concern must be that we teach our younger generation what a Christian life really looks like. Brothers and sisters, we need to teach our children and grandchildren and the younger generation of the church what the Christian life looks like. So what would you say? How would you describe the Christian life? Would you say it's a life characterised by prayer? Or a life characterised by talking about Jesus? Actually, the Apostle Paul, he explained to Timothy that a Christian life is a lot like running a marathon. See, an athlete, he trains to run a marathon and that training involves self-discipline. It involves a healthy routine of eating and sleeping and exercise. And in a similar way, brothers and sisters, the essence of the Christian life is self-discipline. That's why Paul says, exercise yourself towards godliness. Exercise yourself towards godliness. That means just like you get on the treadmill and you work out twice or three times a week. Not because you enjoy it so much, but because you want, it to, be you want to be healthy and because that's what it takes. Simple, hard work. And with that mindset, says Paul, train yourself in godliness. That means pick up your Bible. Read your Bible, study your Bible, and then practice doing what it says. And just like after you work out on the treadmill, afterwards you stand on the scales, and if you cannot see that you have lost weight, then you don't give up, 
but you put your teeth together and you go on and you try even harder. So when we practice godliness, we must make it a way of life that we maintain week after week, year after year. Make no mistake, for getting fit and healthy, there are no gimmicks, there are no shortcuts, but there is only hard work and self-discipline. And that's true for living as children of God as well. Ask any of the older people in this congregation and they'll tell you, living a Christian life is hard work. And this is where self-examination begins, brothers and sisters. Every two months, before we celebrate the Holy Supper, we are called to examine ourselves, examine how we live, and examine how we might grow in serving God. And then we might ask ourselves the time that we spend in the gym, the time that we spend working out physically. Yes, it is important that we are fit and healthy. It is important that we have energy for our work. But Paul says to Timothy, bodily exercise profits a little. Going to the gym has little value. It keeps us looking younger and healthier and it might help us to avoid diabetes and other sicknesses. In fact, it might even protect us from depression, and that's important. But, Paul says to Timothy, training in godliness, learning and teaching our children spiritual discipline, that enables us to live Christian lives, that has value today and tomorrow, and even when we are 70 or 80, and even on Judgment Day, and even after this life, for Timothy, and for you and for me as well, these are choices that we all need to make. So brothers and sisters, we need to think about what is important, and focus, work hard, no, not to earn salvation. Of course not. But do we want to be saved? Yes or no? Saved from hell? And saved from the power of sin and Satan? Saved so that with our whole life we may show ourselves to be thankful to God for his benefits. Saved so that God may be praised by us. If this is important to us, we can make it happen. Think about what Jesus said. Cut off your hand. Pluck out your eye. Do whatever it takes. Perhaps we need to talk to a friend or our ward elder. Perhaps we need to get help. That's okay. 
We must be prepared for a life of struggle, fighting always against our three sworn enemies, the world, the devil, and our own flesh. But most of all, believing that the reward will be worthwhile. And that's God's promise. In our third point, we will now consider the outcome of conversion. When the Catechism speaks about our old nature, the Catechism does not suggest that we can reach a point where our struggle will be over because we have put our old nature to death for once and for all. Not at all. Instead, the best we can do, according to the Catechism, the best we can do is that our sins cause us heartfelt sorrow. That means sin will always be there. That will not change. But in our lives, something does change. More and more, we grow to hate sin. More and more, our sins cause us sorrow. And this is why when Christians grow older, we don't necessarily become better people. But we do become more thankful. Because more and more, we see how often we mess up. More and more, we understand how much pain we have caused to other people and how much we have offended God. When we are young, we know of the sins of other people and we shake our heads. We say, how could they? But when we get older, we don't say that anymore. Instead, we know of the sins of other people and we look at ourselves. We know that we are no better. As older Christians, we don't become better people. But we do become more thankful because we discover how little we really achieve. We discover how rotten we still remain. Then we discover what the word grace really means. And here we also discover what it means to be reformed, brothers and sisters. To be reformed is not very trendy in this world, but it is a blessing. Because Christian books and Christian sermons as well can easily give an unreal impression of what the life of a converted Christian looks like. Sometimes they might give us the impression that if we have problems in our marriage or if we have difficulty raising our children or even if we have financial challenges, these books or sermons might give us the impression that if we have faith 
And if we are converted, then our problems will melt away. And it sounds nice. The thought that we only have to identify our sins and repent of them. And then we become different people and everything goes much better in our lives. That is a pleasant thought indeed. At least it's pleasant for a moment. But if we think about it a little longer, it becomes scary instead. Because what if, what if I am trying to be content with what I have? What if I struggle against being materialistic, but I don't change? I can do what the books suggest. I put more money in the collection bag. I give more money to the church. I give to charity. And I pray for God to change my heart. But I still find it difficult to give. And I still want more. Then, then either I tell myself that I'm not so bad and it's not a problem. Or otherwise, I must conclude that I am not a Christian. But look at Moses. Or look at King David. Or consider those disciples who argued about who was the greatest. And think about Peter who denied the Lord. These men were Christians, but they were not super Christians. They were not constantly living on this high level of faith and godliness. Instead, right until the end, right until the end, their lives were full of sin. But again and again, they were sorry for their sins. Again and again, they were sorry for their sins. And what did David say? David said, One thing alone is pleasing in God's eyes, the contrite heart of one who has repented. That's what pleases God, a heart of one who says sorry, the heart of one who has learned to live by grace. And this is why, brothers and sisters, what we confess in Lord's Day 33 is truly a comfort. God knows what lives in our hearts. God knows how sinful we are and we can be honest about what we are. We don't have to pretend to be better than we know ourselves to be. Christians aren't perfect, remember just forgiven and so to be converted brothers and sisters we need to think about what makes us happy we need to understand that the devil deceives us by convincing us to run after things that are simply not important and then the Christian response is not that we try to earn our own salvation. Not at all. Instead, believing in Jesus Christ, we make every effort 
to live our lives in the way that most pleases him. We take this seriously because we want to glorify God by how we live our lives. We also want to set examples for our children and grandchildren and for the younger generation in the church because ultimately we understand that Christianity is not a philosophy, it's not a doctrine, it's not a set of beliefs. Instead, Christianity is a way of life where we love God, we know Him as our Lord and Saviour, and we want to live our lives in the way that He sets out in His Word, the way that pleases Him, the way that glorifies Him. That's what it means to be Christians, brothers and sisters. May our Heavenly Father bless us in this coming week as we seek to live our lives in a way that reflects his goodness and his grace towards us who remain sinners but who are now forgiven sinners. Amen.
Let's thank the Lord and pray together. Almighty God, Father in heaven, we thank you for everything that you give to us and for everything that you do in us. We praise you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, who died in our place to give us life. We thank you also for working in us by your Spirit and for working, us, working in us in such a way that we truly desire to repent of our sins and we desire to live our lives in the way that you have set out for us in your word. Father in heaven, we confess that we are broken people and we continue to live broken lives. We pray that we may recognise our sins, that we may be humble people. And then we also pray, work in us and give us the commitment that we need to put sin out of our lives. Dear Father, we are influenced by the world in so many ways. From the world, we also get the impression that sin is not a big deal because it's just a normal fact of life. From the world, we also get the impression that hell can hardly be real because a good and gracious God would never condemn people to hell. And so we pray that we may listen to your word and submit to your word. Guide us by your spirit so that we live more and more in the obedience that comes from faith. No, not to earn anything from you, gracious Father. Instead, that we may live by grace for your glory. Be with us in this coming week. Grant that we may all do our task faithfully, trusting you in the place that you give to us. Teach us to delight in living as your children and in doing the task that you give us to do. Hear our prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen. Brothers and sisters, you now have an opportunity to serve the Lord with your thank offering. The collection is for mission work in P&G. Afterwards, we stand and we sing together Psalm 145, the verses 3 and 4.
sisters, receive the blessing of your Lord and Saviour and go in peace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.